Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. True Hauntings is a Frightfully Good production. In the mid-1960s, TV reporter Bill Baldini ran a five-episode expose of Penhurst State School and Hospital on a local TV channel. It shone a light on the neglect and abuse in the institution that turned out to be very hard for the regular viewers to stomach. On the black and white screens in people's homes appeared the images of full-grown hands and feet bound by straps to adult-sized crib beds. Patients of the institution were shown rocking, pacing and twitching. Many were severely disabled, either mentally or physically. But others were quite lucid and coherent, but withdrawn into themselves because of overstimulation of the senses in the loud and sometimes frightening place and a lack of much needed mental stimulation. The five minute news segments were called Suffer the Little Children. When one patient was asked by the interviewer what he would like most in the world if he could have anything he wanted, the sad and withdrawn reply was simply, to get out of Penhurst. Beware, the history of this place is far more horrific than anything a ghost could do. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne, and we invite you to look behind the security doors of the Penhurst State School and Hospital as we discover the many shades of blackness in its corridors and in the cold, dark heart of man. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. And welcome back and to the studio. <laughs> it's been quite 
a week and a bit. It's been a trauma. Yes, it has been. It has been. We, we've both um, succumbed to the, the Rona. We, we, we scored the Rona mm-hmm. and uh, Renata is out of isolation as of today. Is it yesterday? Yesterday, yep. And I am actually out of ISO uh, in the next couple of hours. Uh, but we consider we both had the same disease, so I think we're fine to be able to record this together. <laughs> but we were really lucky because... It was not a bad dose at all. No, no. Uh, Considering what people went through to begin with and considering what people still are suffering from, Mm -hmm. some of them that that catch it, um, I I think, well, I think personally I got out of it pretty well. Yeah, Yeah, uh, me too. I've really, uh, at the moment, I feel quite good apart from the fact I've got a fuzzy brain Mm -hmm. and my sense of taste is a bit wacky. Like I was eating something the other day and it tasted so bitter that I wasn't sure if it was off or not. Mm. And I got Roman to taste it and he went, no, that's normal. But it's just, apparently if you taste things and it comes out bitter when you've got Rona, Mm. um, it actually means that you won't get the long Rona. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful that it tasted bitter. Mm. I'm happy to swallow that bitter pill. (laughs) (laughs) But are we going to be bright and happy today, Renata? Oh, well... This particular topic doesn't lend itself to be bright no, and happy. Um, not I'm really. going to be bright and happy, but I'm I'm really really wanting to get this stuff out of my head uh, because it it does sort of yeah. Um, it's pretty traumatic yeah. what these poor souls went through. Yeah. So just a heads up for everyone. Uh, some of the topics we are going to be covering uh, in this episode are not happy ones. There will not be a lot of laughter and giggling here because there is really not a lot to laugh and giggle about. Yeah, well, it's normally what I accidentally say or you accidentally say, which is what makes us giggle, not the topic. (laughs) That is true. And at the moment, because I've got a cod and my nose is blocked, I'm sort of getting my words a bit wrong. (laughs) So who knows what's going to come out. You've got a cod. I've got a cod. Haven't you heard of people say that when they've got a cold? can't. You can't get the L out, so it comes out, I've got a cod. Okay. I've never heard that before. You're so not woke, Renata. You're so not woke. I am so not woke. (laughs) Oh, that is guaranteed. Yeah, but if anyone um, may be triggered very easily or in an emotional state, just please be aware. It is important for us to tell this story and to tell the backstory of what happened because Penhurst is often talked about in very negative ways, but as I discovered as I was researching this story that uh, a lot of people who went down the rabbit hole really say, please do not forget about all of the beautiful people that went above and beyond to help all the people in Penhurst. Do not forget about them. So part of this story is also to honour those people who worked and tirelessly gave their days off and their their holidays to the people in Penhurst to give them at least some joy in life. Oh, I like it, Renata. I could almost cry. That's just beautiful. I know. I know. Let's get on with the story. Okay. During a lull in customers, I left my post and checked on Laurie, who was hanging out in the common room. She saw me and grabbed my arm. There's something in the bathroom. What? I immediately stared in that direction with my heart racing. Laurie flashed her light into the black room. There are several stalls, but a shower portion was blocked by a wall. The floor was damp. One needed to go around the shower wall to see inside. 
It was the, the shadow of a head, she said, nodding solemnly. I saw it now three or four times. Really? I replied, stunned. Unlike James, I took Laurie's words more seriously. She was around my age, a mother needing extra money. Well, I won't be going in there. I smiled and hurried back to my post, putting on a false bravery. I was getting a little freaked out. The light of the stairway beckoned to me. I stood there for a while and until I felt better. Then I started back into my routine. I hummed, whistled and greeted patrons. I always took the same actions, peeking down the staircase, listening and then jumping back against the wall. I was really enjoying myself now, getting good at telling people stories to set the mood. Then it happened. I jumped back into position, but I didn't feel a wall. I felt what seemed like a solid shoulder against my back, as if I had just backed into someone. Instantly, I I froze. It felt like my husband was behind me. My shoulder felt numb pressure against it people were coming up from below. Instinctively, I took four quick steps to the left side just as they arrived. I was so glad to see them. I stared at where I had been standing. No one was there. A chill washed over me. Had I imagined it? I wondered if I was going to make it through the season. It's only been two days and I'm already freaking out. I stood under the hallway light, staring into the inky blackness. Was something standing there watching me, laughing? My imagination was getting to me. I shined my flashlight into the darkness. Nothing. Did you like that one, Renata? I did. That is from a book called Ghosts of Mayflower, A Penhurst Haunting. And the author is Tamara Lawrence. Now, that was written in 2013. And she was a guide that was uh, working at the asylum when it first became an attraction. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I know you'll go more into the stories of the different stages of the life of the asylum. Mm-hmm. But um, so she was there for that, that first batch um, before another group took over. it, And I'm going to be talking about the, the second batch as well, because I find that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But over to you to tell us some of the, well, the very sad stories and, and how it ended up being what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on January the 23rd, 1903, the Eastern Pennsylvania State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic was commissioned by the Pennsylvania Legislature. Hang on, the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. Yes. They, yes. they just... Ep- well, look, they were, that was terminology that was just used at that point in time. It, it, it's not very PC. Uh, yeah, but they didn't worry about that back then. So, it, I mean, look, calling them feeble-minded is actually just a, a gentle way of saying yes, it. I've heard some there, were, there were many other terms yeah. that were used over the years, so feeble-minded isn't too bad. But epileptics aren't... Um, 
They're not suffering from mental retardation. Uh, well, let's get on with this. Okay, you sorry, I'm taking offence already. Yes. I want to stand up for these beautiful people. You will find out even more things that oh, okay. will curl your toes as right. we go on. Well, luckily so. I've got nice woolly socks on. Yes, yes. So this is this is going to be a, a bit of a mixture of uh, timeline and information mm-hmm. because um, it's sort of all over the place. Um, just like our brains at just, the moment. Just like our brains. <laughs> Have you heard of baby brain? Well, we've got COVID brain. No, you know, like, you know, when you throw um, seed to the chickens yeah. and they, they scratch at it on the ground? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like where all my brain cells are at the oh, moment. Oh, okay. They're, all, they're all, when, all over the ground. I was wondering where this analogy was going. <laughs> so this was the second institution of its type in the state of Pennsylvania at that particular time. And the building was only really large enough to house about 500 residents and that was it. Yeah. Um, when it was built, it really was kind of the standard, the model for these types of in- institutions, hard to believe, um, because at the time it was thought that the best solution for dealing with people with disabilities were forced segregation mm-hmm. and sterilisation. <gasps> Keep taking deep breaths. Keep taking deep breaths. I'm ready to be offended, <laughs> Renata. <laughs> oh, you will be a thousand times over. So since the 1700s, people with illnesses and disabilities have often been labelled defectives. Mm-hmm. And around the 1820s, these defectives, along with other groups of people, you know, this the aged and sick or the aged us. <laughs> we're, we're aged we and would sick. have been we would have been put in an institution. We're also disruptive and don't listen to our husbands. Uh, um and sick and poor. So aged and sick, sick and poor, sick and disabled, aged and disabled. How, how many of these boxes are we chicken? <laughs> they were all grouped together just to simplify their care. And very little effort was really made to improve their conditions. The the whole thing was there was a group in society that was functioning and these people didn't belong in that group. And so what do you do with these people? And often these people were put into institutions um, by because they didn't fit into society, because their families could not care for them. Um, because people didn't want to connect with them and have people think, well, this is a child of mine or a a family member of mine, so I'll stick them in an institution and, and kind of, you know. Well, pretend we never yeah, had them. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. All that sort of stuff. Now, after doing all of this, the, the problem is that all of these institutions start to fill up. Because mm-hmm. and, and there's so many people who aren't perfect. <laughs> no. And, and the main question is how do you look after these people that can't look after themselves and spend as little money and as little manpower as possible? <clears throat> and one of the things that I discovered as I was reading through all of this stuff and, and these notes is that virtually every time money was asked for the inmates of Penhurst mm-hmm. to help them in any way, shape or form, it was always denied. It was always like, well, give me a good reason. Why, one, should, why yeah. should we spend money on something that's not perfect? Yeah. And one of the stories was about bras and give, giving women bras, buying bras for them. And they were happy this, to let us, the, the, the boobies the, wobble and be oh, free. Oh, well, you know, when you think of, of 
how these people were kept in the institution, bras would have, you know, it been the last thing. Very low down yes, on the needs, yep. and that's that. That was the problem that um, when they were asked about, um, you know, providing bras for the women, um, the reply was, "Well, we must have a good reason for this." Can you give me a good reason? Do you like pert boobs? <laughs> if you want pert boobs, give us bras. And nothing, nothing seemed to be a good enough reason. So in yeah. the end, they didn't get bras. So it's just you know. Now look, we're looking at the early 1900s. Slowly and surely, things changed over the years, but it was literally one painful step at a time. And uh, here we are now in the 2000s. And uh, many things have changed, mm-hmm. but it's taken over 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's still hard as duck to get money out of oh, politicians absolutely. to help people who need help. You've looked at aged care systems yep. now. Yep. They just won't give them money. Yep. Totally. Just keep drugging them. It will be fine. Have things even changed? I don't even get me started. So residents were called inmates, and later they were referred to as patients, and that was regardless of age. So no matter um, you know whether they were adult or not, often all of the inmates at Penhurst were um, also referred to as children. Ah, oh, right. Mm-hmm. So the children. Because they called it a school, didn't they? Uh, there was a school and there was a hospital. So this became huge. There were many, many buildings and additions right. to, to this place. So patient number one came in on November the 23rd, 1908. And uh, by 1912, the superintendent was alerting the board of trustees that people with epilepsy and people with intellectual and developmental disabilities did not require the same treatment and were therefore incompatible to cohabitate in the same treatment facility. Mm-hmm. So to begin with, they sort of just packed everyone in together. Yep. And then it was like, well, you know, some of these people don't have the same level of disability than mm-hmm. others do. High and, functioning. And as you said, epilep- epilepsy isn't a mental illness. No. And so you had people that were fully functioning. The only problem they had was their epilepsy. They would have their seizures. And so they were placed in with these people who were really, really, really um, disabled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm really sorry, guys, if we're using non-PC terms, we're, we're doing the best we can and we don't mean disrespect to anybody. Yes, that, that's absolutely true. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, I know, because yeah. I'm just every now and then you say something I cringe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but then I said something and I cringe. Yeah, I know. But There's I'm so also... many people out there who just want to be cringeworthy of everything. Yeah, and, that... and look, I'm also using terminology that's used in, in these um, in these notes yeah. too. So yeah. and, I'm, uh, I am sorry. Yeah, and please forgive the coughing and the sniffling and everything going on. We're doing our best, guys. <laughs> we know this episode, if we don't do this now, this is due to come out on this coming Friday. So we're doing this because we want you guys to have an episode. Anyway, keep going, Renata. So about 10 years later, the first female campus in Penhurst opens up uh, and eventually it would would become five buildings. So we've got 10 years where they are all together. Mm -hmm. And then they went, oh, this isn't turning out really well because the women are falling pregnant. Oh, oh, surprise! Oopsie. <laughs> so we may just change that. Ooh, yeah. Oh, mm. fancy that. Yeah. Um, now, 
One thing too, which is really, really horrifying, but it is part of the history back in the early 1900s, is that the fact that feeble-minded people were considered a criminal threat and the Commission of for the Care of the Feeble-Minded was set up uh, and it announced that those that were disabled should not be citizens in normal <gasps> society as they caused no. or posed a threat to the peace. Oh, no. Mm. It's not a threat to the peace. It's just they they didn't like that they weren't acting the same way as everybody else and mm. made noises. Yes. Now, by May 1930, there were about 1,250 residents at Penhurst. Um, and by 1955, there were over 3,500. <gasps> what? Yes, 3,500. Um, now, I read in one, and I, I might jump from one thing to the next. And sort you of, go for it. Because it, it just sort of tweaks my memory that um, there was an article and I'm going to go into um, Mr. Baldini's um, TV Mm -hmm. episodes Mm -hmm. because that's a thing in itself. Um, But there was um, one thing about this over um, uh, too many people there um, in that there was one particular room that he said he entered into and there were two female staff members to 80 children from the ages of six months. I'm freaking out about having my two grandkids. From six months to five years. Oh, no. No. This is how um, understaffed this place was. (gasps) So before we kind of throw judgment, we have to understand the working conditions that were there yeah. for these people that actually worked there. Yeah. And yeah, there were a few really bad apples. Um, there were some really incredibly disgusting and horrible doctors. Mm-hmm. But on the generally, the people that worked there really cared for their patients. It was just that they physically could not handle yeah. what was going on. Uh, and uh, in that respect, the things that we would see if we walked in at that time into those uh, wards mm-hmm. would absolutely just tear us apart. So you had metal cages where children were kept and they were often lying in their feces for days. Oh. Uh, There were naked, skeletal-looking patients and children from six months to five years of age tied to their beds. And uh, I remember reading one story where there was a blind lady, um, and I think she was epileptic, that was actually bound to her wheelchair for no other reason than the staff said, we'd know where she is at all times. (gasps) She could walk. She was just bound to her wheelchair. Because it was, it was, it was easier. It's sort them. of safer for her as well. Because if there was that many people around and feces on the floor, and I, I don't consider this to be safe at all, mind you. It's just, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yep. So high functioning patients were separated from the low functioning ones eventually and put into their own wards uh, with the lesser abled ones as punishment at times. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Some patients were intentionally aggravated to turn violent. Their assaults would be arranged by the caretakers. And then they were beaten and some of them were then wheelchair-ridden. Some of them were wheelchair-ridden and some died. So they were beaten in their wheelchairs. Oh, lordy, lordy. 
Okay. Yep. Um, and this this kind of went on. There were there were many different you know stories about how bad the times were there for yeah. many of the patients. There were legislations. There were things uh, that were happening uh, consistently with the lack of care, uh, lack of financial uh, ability to service the amount of people that were there. But in the 1960s, this is this is where it sort of all started to come undone because there was a reaching out to a local TV station and there was a reporter called Bill Baldini and he released a five-part series on Penthurst called Suffer the Little Children. You know, I haven't been able to bring myself to actually watch that. I just, I don't know if I can because I saw some of the still shots from it and it was pretty horrific. Yep, yep, yep. So he, once the first episode went out, he he claimed that the, the public's outcry was so strong, he had to go back in and rewrite and redo oh he had to re-edit all, it all of it and continue shooting um his editors and and the the tv station said can you go in and get more please go in and get more because it was like finally shining a light on, oh, so on people what was were, happening were, were were astounded and wanted to know more i yeah. thought you were saying that it was so horrific they didn't want to know about it well yes that's that's why no one had done anything um, but he worked so long and so hard on this that by the fifth day he couldn't even speak. He'd lost his voice. Oh. So he asked somebody else to come in and uh, read the script. Mm-hmm. And this guy, John Fassender, said, It is with great regret that I tell you that reporter Bill Baldini, who has worked continuously on this series, has practically collapsed from sheer exhaustion and is unable to read the words which he has written to finish the series. So it is with considerable pride I include this report for him. Oh, covered in goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, yeah, so he talked about this thing, uh, as I mentioned, where, you know, he walks into a room with two attendants and 80 children aged from six months to five years, sitting all sitting in metal cribs or cages, as he calls them. Uh, when he asked why the kids were contained to these cages and couldn't walk, he reports that the attendant told him that they did not have enough staff to set up the mattresses on the floor so the children could learn to crawl. Children were simply remained in cages without learning how to crawl or walk. Now, he noticed that many of the patients would, were lying in their own excrement. Uh, there was, look, it's, it's not all bad, but I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all bad. There's a ray of sunshine in there. Somebody bought in a bunch of daffodils uh, and put it in a vase. Now, he also had an um, interview with a doctor, Dr. Jesse Fear. Oh, that is the worst name possible. Yes, Dr. Jesse Fear. And he was one of the doctors there that I have to say, if I could have stabbed him uh, <laughs> personally, <laughs> I, there would, I would have no problem at all. What would you with, stab him with? with? Tell me, Renata. I know, something really blunt. Oh, but... <laughs> Blood. Yeah. So I, that you had to work hard yeah, to get it to yeah. go in. Yeah, right. I would. I would. Okay. Through this, the eyeball. Because this person was foul. Okay. Absolutely foul. I thought you were going to say a different word, yeah. F word then. Well, so thank yeah. you so much for not yeah. doing that. So he would specifically punish some of the residents who acted out. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and they acted out because they were frustrated. Yeah. Um, and he would degrade them. 
So he would send them in to care for other patients that couldn't care for themselves. And often it was about um, cleaning up excrement, uh, looking after them, um, or getting other, other patients to get so riled up that they would humiliate these particular um, patients that he didn't like because they wow. were acting out. So a bully. Yeah. So he would get others to bully the people with disabilities. Mm. Now, if, if I was going to believe in heaven and hell, this is one of these times that I hope there was a hell and Satan was there to greet him with a pitchfork. Yeah, oh, pi- a blunt, no, blunt pitchfork. pitchfork. <laughs> so he claimed this punishment would offer often offend their dignity as they were locked in a residence where residents with um, severe mental disabilities couldn't look after themselves. Now, he 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 admitted in this um, interview that mm. oh, this didn't always work. <laughs> oh, surprise! Really? <laughs> Um, what we're trying to do is dec- degrade him to a certain extent amongst his fellow peers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would make fun of him for a while afterwards. But I don't think there is anything inhumane about it, he says, or anything, if that's, if or anything, if that's the word. Yeah, so he kind of thought that it was okay. But there was one particular incident where um, he threatened a resident. And he said, you touch one of my boys again and I will personally, I'm personally going to take care of you myself. Oh. And he said, um, this this young fellow's name was Ernie. And he said to Ernie, before the day is out, you're going to find out what I can do to you. <gasps> and so he, he asked the staff members for the most painful type of injection he could give this fellow what? without damaging him. And he said that uh, he was very, very pleased because he said he injected Ernie and claimed that he really hit the ceiling over that. Oh, good on you, Dr. Fear. Yeah, yeah. What um, an absolute asshole, and I'm going to say it. Oh, that's. I would use I'm, a different I'm being, word than that. Yeah, if you want to hear worse words than that, you've got to watch us live on Thursday nights. <laughs> <laughs> now, Baldini went ahead to say that he compared his report um, between Penthurst and Zoos in the United States at that particular point in time. And zoos. Zoos, because he said... As the, in animal zoos. Yes, yes. The largest zoos would spend $7.15 each day on each animal. And in Penthurst, they only spent $5.90 per resident. <gasps> And that's medical care and everything. Oh, well, geez, you were lucky to get medical care. I mean, they, they talk about the fact that there was very little medical care yeah. um, in that time because it just was not affordable. They, well, it certainly it, wasn't in the budget, no, was it? Penhurst had a capacity for uh, 1,984 residents and there were times when there was virt- almost double that, 2,791. That's astounding. Um, he would have liked to have had, um, this This is a superintendent, 1,500 personnel on staff, but he said that uh, that would mean 700 more people <gasps> so that they from had, what they had. From what they had. Yep. So they had half of what yep. they needed. Yep. And um, it would cost them another $4 million, which they didn't have. Oh. So this means that there were 800 staff members for nearly 2,800 residents. And that wouldn't be 800 staff members on at one time. No. Because no. it would be shifts. Yes. So it'd probably 200. Yes. At one time. Yep. Wow. Um, look, there were 
things that were done within Penhurst and I'm pretty sure because of the doctors and staff getting together and kind of going what can we do what can we do here there's no money you know it's all limited what can we do to actually help if there is a possibility of helping Uh, and so some of the staff would take home certain residents for holidays and look after them. Some staff came in on their weekends and helped clean and look after some residents. Some of the residents who were... High-functioning. High-functioning would actually have um, these teams and they would go in and they would clean and do laundry for those that were um, incapable of doing it. They were these kind of working parties. And some of them actually... So the best of humanity were the the patients, the people. Yeah. They they say that um, often if you went in fairly early into Penhurst, you could stay there for 21 years. (gasps) 21 years? Yes. Yeah. And the the thought was that kind of once you went in, you, you were no longer of any use to into society and yet when Penhurst eventually closed down they talk about the number of patients that actually came out of Penhurst and lived full amazing lives to the detriment of you know everything that happened to them Um, and so they should never have been there they should never have been there absolutely now the thing that really sort of was the undoing of Penhurst was this uh, class action, this action um, in 1974 of um, Terry Lee Haldeman against the hospital. It was a class action lawsuit. And this fellow, Terry Lee, said he suffered about 40 injuries while he was a resident there. uh, And they included cracked teeth, a fractured finger and a broken jaw. And he actually stood up finally and went, no, I'm going to take these assholes. Buggers. To court. Yep. Um, and this is what eventually brought Penhurst down. And yeah. from that point on. Well, um, good on you, Terry. Yeah, when all of this stuff came out, um, Dr. Fear actually had to leave. Only leave? He should have been put in prison. I'm not quite or, sure there was Or even a... put into the same circumstances oh, he put people in. Yeah. Um, they did do operations there. Oh, uh, yeah, and uh, I'll just finish that. Yes, so Penhurst actually closed down yep. um, after this this case, uh, and yeah, that that was kind of the end. And uh, a lot of them, a lot, a lot of the inmates that were there uh, were actually sort of um, then distributed to other mental uh, facilities, healthcare mm-hmm. facilities. Uh, I just want to do state this though, and and th- these are all records that you can find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they talk about um, going into a particular room where they found a chest of documents and in the documents there was a three-ring binder about five inches thick. It was completely filled with files of patients who had died, why they died and when and where they died. Uh, The odd part of it was that most (coughs) patients had died from restraints or patient got out of hand, doctors or nurses handled. So they they accidentally killed them. Mm. The worst part was in the back of the folder, there was a tally sheet of the operations for three doctors. Under each doctor's name, there was a spot for deaths on the table, death from complications and survivals. Now, it says here a good 75% died on the table, while a few others died from complications. 
Very few survived any of the operations that occurred at Penthurst. But it didn't sound like it was an institution that was meant to have operations, like an operating theatre. Well, it was called a hospital, yeah, Penthurst um... State School and Hospital. Okay. Mm. So just, just one more thing. Um, there was an account, an autobiography um, by a gentleman called Roland Johnson, and he was a former resident of Penhurst, and he moved in in 1958. Now, he says in his autobiography, he witnessed a boy being thrown out of a window. Um, so while the attendants were changing over for their shifts and not looking, someone pushed the boy out the window. Yeah. Um, the boy survived. They didn't think he would, but he survived with a, a broken hip and leg. Um, Johnson says that the smell of Penhurst, Penhurst was like that of a doghouse. It just smelled of feces. There were rats crawling, roaches crawling all over, feces and pee on the floor and flies coming in the windows. I imagine there would have been maggots too. Yep. Oh. Um, this was the state of all the low-grade wards, meaning the wards with residents with low mobility. So all the residents that could not move or yeah. were tied or chained in yeah. lived in those conditions. Uh, Johnson claims that residents were threatened and beaten by staff members. He claimed that staff members warned residents that if they told their parents what was going on inside Penhurst, they would be punished. Now, punishments included moving to a punishment ward. A punishment ward. Well, that's what they called it. And a beating with a broomstick um, and cleaning up other residents' excrement. Now, apparently there were a number of punishment wards. Let me go one, two, three, four, five, probably about six punishment wards. Six. Hmm. And the actual layout of the place, it sort of grew and grew and grew, didn't they? Because they had so many people coming in, they just kept making more buildings. Yes. Yep, yep. So the whole place um, was closed down in 1978. Um and the 1,230 residents that were left were moved into community living settings. Um, and yes, that's... They would have all been very traumatised oh, individuals. my goodness. Yeah. And I, I mean, how, how do you... How do you... Re-teach a child from six months old mm -hmm. to function? Yeah after having lived through that sort of a trauma. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. How do you even begin? I, I have no idea. There must I'd... be some very patient, beautiful people out there oh, that help absolutely. them. That's all I can say. So uh, from what I can work out... Uh, with the the layout layout of the places, as I said, they kept adding buildings, but they also had them all connected with tunnels underneath the ground. There was a whole tunnel system associated with it as well. So, did you read anything about that? No. Okay. Well, I picked up on a lot of that in the the uh, ghost hunting information, mm-hmm. but after it closed down, it was then um, purchased to become a haunted attraction, Mm. uh, a Halloween attraction. Yes. And that's where I'm going to pick it up and keep going. So what I can work out this, I sort of pick it up from around the um, 2009, 2010. There was this, um, some articles there that said that the first version of the haunted asylum that uh, went into the place actually caused a bit of an uproar and there were people sort of saying it's you know it's disgusting it shouldn't be there um i've got a uh a few things here that i can read to you the first version of the haunted asylum was as bad as anticipated a fictional dr chakajian here we go (laughs) chakajian and his minions were shown experimenting on asylum inmates yep um 
This is an example of uh, what would happen at the asylum in the early days. On a Friday night, dozens of people wound their way up to the entrance of Penhurst's former administrative building and paid $50 to enter. First, visitors entered a museum featuring photos and information about the institution. Then they entered the haunted house, which is filled with gruesome props, bloody dental patients and parts of the original morgue. The last walk is through the underground tunnel system that used to connect the buildings. Screams filled the seemingly endless stretch of utter darkness. Visitors emerged the sound of local heavy metal bands. Oh, nice. You weren't expecting that, were you? So um, they would sort of have this haunted house that you'd get a bit of a museum, and I think that was to tick a box so Mm -hmm. that they could try and placate people and say, oh, no, no, we're teaching the history here, Mm -hmm. and uh, then put them in where they've got doctors torturing patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Lovely. Let's honour history in such a beautiful way. To then come out to the rock bands. So um, the businessman behind the venture was Richard Chakashian. Recognise that name? <laughs> he says that he bought the 110-acre property two years ago. It was in ruins. He now runs a local recycling business and hopes to make a haunted house a yearly Halloween event. And he quotes there saying, we, well, we went well out of our way to make sure that this event doesn't mock or mimic any of the handicap." We just have doctors torturing them. And I believe that the public that comes through here know the distinction and the difference between making fun of something and a Halloween event. According to Chukashan, at least 17,000 people have come since the haunted house opened in that late that September. um, And he believes it's contributing to the local economy. But... (laughs) But uh, there was the um, the P- PMPA, who were the uh, the Penhurst uh, people who were trying to look after the history, mm-hmm. completely opposed to the operation of the haunted attraction, um, and said that it portrays people with disabilities in a dis- demeaning and degrading fashion, demonising people with disabilities as a profit-making entertainment is offensive or should be offensive to everyone according to them we urge people uh, who share our disgust to speak out against the haunted asylum and boycott this travesty mm-hmm. so there was some upset people yeah mm-hmm. then of course we have the famous ghost hunting tv shows head on in to discover are there any ghosts in the asylum I always love this um, spot I find about ghost adventures where they summarise everything for you and tell you all the juicy stuff that went down. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in the preliminary investigations, they had unidentifiable noises and moving objects even before the investigation started. They heard a banging sound uh, outside of the building and when they went inside, a large desk had been found tipped over and there were fresh drag marks seen under it. Of course, there was no camera set up at that stage, Mm -hmm. so they've got no idea how that happened. But of course, it's a ghost. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, whilst uh, they were interviewing a man who worked there and uh, his friend's son, both saw an apparition open and close the blinds in a window. And when they went up to the room, so they were outside and then they saw these blinds open and close. Mm-hmm. Um, when they went up to the room, the blinds are actually shown to be behind very heavy metal mesh so that nobody could actually get in there to move those blinds. Oh, very, that's that's very interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. During the investigation, they heard footsteps, breathing, <gasps> noises. <laughs> <laughs> that was Renata. She it just dropped one. Not, <laughs> um, door slamming, bangs, female voices, screams, hissing. Yeah, you do that well. And a door opening. <laughs> Oh, this is starting to sound like Spooky Sunday Show. Uh, they had EVPs, lots of EVPs. Go away. Hello. What are you doing? Get out. You have done it. Sweet. Help me. The girl did. Uh, Very they heard, generic, are oh, no, they? No, no, no. Uh, they had loud, lots of loud bangings elsewhere as well. Uh, an unseen force throws a rocket. Poor Zach. Oh. Poltergeist. Poor, poor darling. Um, uh, there was an apparition of a mist heading towards Zach and grabbed his pockets. Oh. He must have had a sweetie in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was a candy bar. No, in, in Australia, sweetie means like a, a your girlfriend or something. I don't think you meant that. I meant, I meant he had a candy bar in there. Or we call it here a lolly. A lolly. <laughs> you going to lick a lolly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that means... Look, I think lollies in America are, are actually what we call ice blocks. I don't know. I know. It's getting very tangled now. I've gone completely off. You this have. is COVID brain. <laughs> Welcome to COVID brain. Um, but look, they, they had lots of things. They had a um, uh, an EVP or the... What was it? No, the word database. So it must have been like an early ovalus. Came up with the word hit. And out of nowhere, a coat hanger hits Zach on the side. Oh, and they reviewed the footage and they could see the coat hanger was actually hanging on the other side of the wall. And they believe it was a spirit that threw it. Um, yeah, so there was uh, temperature fluctuations, uh, a light anomaly, uh, unexplainable physical contact. Um, so when, oh no, this is explainable, sorry, explainable physical contact. Uh-huh. When Zach, Nick and Aaron began walking in the underground tunnels, Nick accidentally trips over an old metal chair and receives pieces of glass in his hand and is cut on his hand. Aww. Oh, darling. I hope he got a tetanus shot for that. I know. You there imagine. rats on the floor. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, look, that, that was the activity they had there. Now, I had another example of some activity, and this was a lady called Beverly Mitchell. Now, she's an actress. Um, uh, she she might be known to some people as playing the younger sister Ruthie on Seven Heaven, Seventh Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, now she was there filming a movie called um, I think it was Penhurst. I think that's what it was called. Uh, and she had some feelings, some icky feelings about it. Uh, let me see if I can see where it says there. Uh, yeah, I had to pause and work out where it was. Uh, she had the overwhelming feeling of spirits and shocking circumstances involving paranormal activity at the ghost-infested hospital. So she just had vibes about it and she didn't feel real good about it. So she ended up on a TV show uh, where they 
take famous actors and things back to places that they've had haunted experiences, paranormal experiences. And I used to watch this show. I loved it. But I think this article's mixed up a few things here because it said, Beverly is later compelled to face her worst fears and meets up with the Long Island psychic. Okay. Kim Russo. Yeah. Now, we all know the Long Island psychic medium as... um, Teresa Caputo. That's right. So, yeah. um, anyway, I can't remember what the, the name of the show Kim did, but she I really used to like that. Uh, so, apparently where she felt most of the stuff was the administration building, and uh, Kim goes in and she senses that the staff brought women into the building for sexual pleasure. Male spirits totally dominate the room, and the Immense energy was detected by both the psychic and Beverly. Right. So that that's just one psychic picking up on a story mm-hmm. and presenting it to the world. Mm-hmm. That actually upsets me a little bit. I don't know whether it's true or not. Mm. How could you know if that was true? Um, and I'm going to finish up at the end with a little quote from uh, the... The Long Island medium. What's her name? Sorry, Kim. Um, She had something nice to say. Now, I apologise if I'm jumping all over the place, but COVID brain. Uh, Then there was this book that I did the soundscape from, uh, The Ghosts of Mayflower, Penhurst Haunting. And uh, this is a story of a person who went in there to work as a tour guide when it first opened as that first... Mm-hmm. type of um, haunted asylum. Yes. And there was really interesting things. I struggled to read it because the grammar was so bad and um, they haven't obviously had somebody who was a, uh, a, a checker, what they call the print check, um, to make sure that everything was right because she's got the use of two and two all over the place. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> oh, I'm a grammar Nazi sometimes, so uh, me who failed English. So... One of the interesting things she said was when my son and I arrived at work on Saturday night, we were informed we are not to scare any of the customers, that the people were on a real ghost hunt and we're only there to guide them and to keep off the third floor. We were told we are like ghosts there, but not scary. So that was interesting that they're taking people into the location. Mm -hmm. And if it's a proper ghost hunt, they're actually saying to them, don't do any jump scares, Mm -hmm. don't do anything. But reading sort of further into the book, some of the guides got bored and they would start to do things. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the famous ghosts there, now the Mayflower building is the one that is really well known. Uh, They do talk about the admin building and there is uh, another one as well, which I will get to. Uh, But they talk about a ghost called Howie. Now, I don't know if Howie is a child or a, a child mind. Right. Uh, then this is the little story they've got here. Howie, come out to play, James cried from the darkness. He was on a mission to find the elusive Howie. Howie was rumoured to haunt the Mayflower building. I'm not sure where he came from or who he was, but he was supposedly a lost soul who owned the toys in the Mayflower An old ball sits on the first floor and a worn Fisher-Price aeroplane on the second. Both are said to be Howie's. If you touch a toy, Howie would get you. 
People would say that toys moved around by themselves. The ball supposedly would roll beneath the beds on the first floor. How does anyone know it's how he's haunting this place? I asked my son. Of all people who have been through here, how would they even know? And that is my question. Mm. How did Howie come into existence? Mm-hmm. Is it a real story or is this something that was created for the haunted asylum? Mm-hmm. Or was there something that was going on, but someone decided to give it a name? Yeah. You know what it's like. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have this, well, I'm just kind of saying that you know, sometimes in some places things do happen on occasion and they'll go, well, instead of saying it or that, mm-hmm. uh, they just give it a name. And look, these guys, like this particular one, would do things like, I started having fun with people as they entered my area. I would greet and warn them about Howie. Don't touch his plane. He doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. So now they're starting to layer down some yeah. of this story. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Which people will then take as gospel truth. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, there was another story. Look, the, that, that book is is available on the interwebs if you want to go and get it. I did purchase it because I always believe in supporting the authors. Um, but let me tell you about another article I found. And this is one that they're talking to people who worked there. And they were asking Ashley had she had any supernatural experiences at Penhurst. And the one she most vividly recalls was an auditory experience. Now, it's hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, oral is with your mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why are you looking at me when you're saying that? I don't know. Oh, no. So they said they heard an old-timey music box playing throughout Mayflower Building that she couldn't account for, but it seemingly came from the third floor. Mm-hmm. Now, in this the Mayflower book that I was reading, it seems that the third floor is always alluded to as the scariest the scary one, one yeah. and uh, that's where most of the activity happens. Um, but then they talk about going down into the basement um, and there is somebody called Flip who says that there is stuff going on down there. When you hear get out, it's probably because you're scaring them rather than anything territorial or malicious. And like, if you imagine if us humans are in a space where somebody who is still in a death state or um, a, a lost spirit and we've got us coming in there Mm -hmm. and they're just like go away go away they're terrified Mm, yeah so i get that i thought that was actually quite a nice little statement um but there is a ghost called the king a menacing figure popular with the paranormal enthusiasts enthusiasts i'm going to start singing a hymn or something i don't know enthusiasts who frequent pedhurst uh the king was a maintenance worker here from the 40s or 50s this was his domain the boiler room always the boiler room. that's right there's always stuff that goes down in the boiler room i'm sure he was not very well and he did not treat patients very well sometimes you'll smell cigar smoke down here he is known to come across on evps as a shadow figure Hang on, he comes. A- EVPs, EVPs as a shadow figure. Oh, hang on, no, I I didn't read that correctly with the commas. <laughs> he is known to come across on EVPs. All right, as a shadow figure. All right, okay. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how you can change <laughs> the interpretation by not putting that pause or comma in in the correct oh, place? Um, and he'll even touch you. Oh, oh touch, 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 touch. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
He is not a nice spirit. It's a bit like that potato vodka I tried. Not a nice spirit. Uh, he does like the ladies, though. Like does. So all true believers, the staff at Penhurst are well acquainted with the king, though they are uncertain if he is a poltergeist or demonic activity. Did any of those things sound like a poltergeist? <laughs> no. Did any not. of that sound demonic? No. no. Why do they use these terms? <laughs> because it's... It makes it a better story. Oh, but does, doesn't it? I've got goosebumps. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Nothing's ever escalated. Knock on wood. <laughs> Past him just kind of messing with people. So that's not demonic. No. Uh, he comes across with a creepy laugh. Um, he's told us his name. And we've even had a full conversation on previous EVPs I've heard. And, he, and he, well, he probably wow. said to them, "I'm demonic. <laughs> I'm, I'm demonic. I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> even in the ghost world, they need to be bloody <coughs> special." Oh. All right, now look, we're we're running out of time quickly, so. I'm going to leave it with the ghost stories there because there's sounds of footsteps, there's banging, there's things being moved, there's stuff being thrown. It's all the typical stuff. Um, And I want to go over to this lovely article I found from the ncph.org, History at Work, Who Should Tell the Story of Penthurst Haunted Asylum. And this is now going into the final stage of where Penhurst is at now and who's mm-hmm. taken over it. So this is um, talking to a disability studies historian. Right. Isn't that a cool title? Mm-hmm. Sarah Hanley Cousins. And she's saying, I like a ghost story as much as anyone, but the patients who lived at Penhurst weren't spooky spirits. They were human beings with complex lives. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I just got goosebumps. So the new owners and general managers have personal connections to the disability community. Aware of the unintended consequences of uh, what happened before, they changed the features of the attraction and empowered a group of disabled performers with creative control. Oh. I know. Isn't this fabulous? I told you I found such a good twist. Um, The new haunted attraction is now worth a second look. More than half of the performers, which they call themselves haunters, are identified as disabled. Oh, how awesome. Uh, A few even have personal histories of being institutionalised Mm -hmm. as well. So they've been in institutions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The new haunted asylum turns the original plot on its head. The haunters each assume a fictional identity and the inmates conspire to take over the asylum from the professionals. Oh, yes. So instead of the the doctors and everyone uh, performing things on the the, the actors doing it that way, Mm -hmm. they've turned it completely ass up. Um, the fictional doctors, nurses, and the visitors become the new inmates. Oh, yes. Oh, just fabulous. Uh, all right. So there is a person called Autumn Werner who has a psychology major at Westchester University. Uh, so she she's a bright cookie, was the first Penhurst Memorial Fellow. She is a person with a disability and performs in the at the attraction as a haunter. In a personal uh, email that she sent to them, she explains her involvement. To me, being on the site and performing and building a community as we have 
has given... Oh, my God, I need to put my teeth back in. Hang on, let me start that again. To me, being on the site and performing and building a community as we have has given the disabled population here the power back. We have reclaimed the space and seek to perform, educate and welcome others into it. Yeah, yeah. How great is that? Yep. Uh, They have a... um, Oh, they they mentioned something about uh, they get paranormal investigators Mm -hmm. that want to come in and investigate and they understand that uh, but they have a deep sense of respect this is the people who are running the place have a deep sense of respect and protectiveness of the Penhurst Cemetery Mm -hmm. so they they will allow you into the buildings and I've got some of the tours here I have to tell you some of the tours Mm -hmm. that they run in a second Um, but the staff will not share the location of the final resting place of some of these poor Mm -hmm. people um because they want that to be respected. And they said the Penhurst site itself is a sacred one. Yeah. One other haunter had to say, we preserve the property and we're doing our best to educate people about what happened here. I don't want them to just walk through here and and just think it's something scary. So it sort of goes on, because you get all these people who take on this self-righteous thing and go, oh, it's dreadful, it's this, it's that, and something else. But to me, these people have the right to tell the story mm-hmm. of what happened to their people leading up to this moment in time. Yeah. I love it. I think it's amazing. Now, let me tell you about the tours because we have the possibility of hiring this place for ourselves oh. to investigate if we get over there and maybe we can find a couple of people to chip in with us who might want to come and do the investigation with us. Uh, so they have team paranormal investigations. Your team must be 10 people or more. The base fee for this is $100 per person. Ooh. I think that's a bargain. Uh, and the event is... N- is not equivalent to a site rental. Access is not exclusive. Other teams may or may not be on the site. So they mm-hmm. sort of... Give you a space. Like, it's like what we do at Maitland Jail. Yep. Speaking of which, Maitland Jail, we have got next week... Not, not, oh, hang on. By the time we come out, it will be the... Is it 24th? 24th of August? Yes. We have True Hauntings Live, where Renata and I are going to be performing a True Hauntings episode live in front of an audience. You can only buy the tickets at Maitland Jail, M-A-I-T-L-A-N-D, Maitland Jail. Now, we spell it G-A-O-L. So look it up. Grab yourself a ticket. It's more than half sold already. So um, we're going to be presenting the Amityville Horror Case. Oh. I'm excited. I'm excited. Can't wait. Um, all right. They also have public paranormal tours. Sorry, getting back to the Penhurst. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they can be led by someone who will take them on a paranormal investigation. They have overnight paranormal investigations. Uh, so I think... I think what they're saying is that you can have 10 people to do a paranormal investigation, mm-hmm. but, or you, two people can do it. you just got to pay for 10. Yes. And you get that area for a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can find some other people to join us. Oh, my brain is skitzing everywhere. This is the one I wanted to get to. This is the cool one. The horror camp out. What does that involve? $150 a person. I don't think I'd do it. Uh, The horror camp is an immersive simulated horror summer camp experience. (laughs) I hope that doesn't include the food as being horror. Uh, It's strictly for 18 years or over. Uh, Campers take part. uh, 
will take part in quests, which occur all evening throughout the grounds. No, I want to sleep. They've got ex- escape rooms, puzzles, physical challenges, and a real ghost hunt. Uh, don't plan on sleeping, it says. But this is the, the thing that got me. Penhurst Asylum Horror Camp uh, may include total darkness, water spray, uneven surfaces, steps up and down, strobe lighting, latex, <laughs> <laughs> narrow tunnels, oh. simulated body fluids, oh. space, spaces which require you to bend down while walking, <laughs> sudden loud noises, live actors, as well as fog and scent effects, which are intended to startle and frighten you. If you are an asthmatic, please be certain to bring your inhaler as a precaution. <sighs> yeah, no. Yeah, I just had an no. OMFG written next to that. But th- this is now being run by the people that I was mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's a very much an empowering thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got to get to my little final bit, uh, which I wanted to, which was sort of to bring us back to where this all started. And I mean, the reason we tell the history is to layer the story to show how a haunting may have been created. Mm -hmm. That's why history is always so important. Mm -hmm. And this, this site has everything that should make a place haunted. Absolutely. So this is a quote from the Happy Medium Life Lessons from the Other Side by Kim Russo. The souls trapped here have had untold anguish in their lives. The term tortured souls truly applies here. Many have endured such inhumane treatments at the hands of others that it is unthinkable. They have experienced everything from scientific experimentation beatings, sexual assault, and starvation to complete and utter neglect. Those that stay behind have deeply complex issues to resolve. Some desperately want to expose the atrocities they suffered when they weren't mentally or physically able to defend themselves as a means of protecting or defending others that still are there. I just really liked the way she just summarised what Mm. the layering yeah and what would cause the hauntings yeah yep. here yep. at penhurst now i have a couple of questions for you mm-hmm. first off do you think it's haunted i would probably feel i think if i went in there i would probably feel a lot of energy that yeah. is there definitely residual surely lots and lots of residual energy why spirits would want to choose to stay in a place that gave them so much horror I don't know. Um, Maybe the confusion that they felt in life is still there after death. And that is why. Um, Not sure. I I would probably lean towards there being some sort of haunting there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Second question. Would you go and visit the Halloween attraction of Penhurst? No. No, it doesn't do it for me. I'm I, I'm not into jump scares or Neither horror am movies. I. Absolutely not. Absolutely, I rather the real stuff. And yep. if I walk away going, oh nothing, oh nothing, I'm still not upset about it. I'm not. I'm never disappointed. Never, I'm just yeah. happy to have been in the yep. location. Yep. Last question: Would you investigate? Yes. My bags under the bed. Let's go. Yes. All right. 
I'm going to say that I think the place would be haunted definitely mm-hmm. by residual, possibly intelligent as well, because I think there might still be some staff there that are tending to those who are, are left yeah, behind. that's a possibility. Mm. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the very snotty and blocked up <laughs> COVID rancid naughty aunties. Yeah. <laughs> We uh, will be back next week with another episode. Now, we are doing a big push on YouTube, guys. We need you to get over there. Please subscribe to Anne and Renata, Frightfully Good. And we will be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, stay spooky. And we'll see you on the dark side. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.